Welcome to Music in the Church, a monthly podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Bariza, and today I have a conversation with Dr. John Whitfleet. He is a professor at Calvin University, and he's the director of the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. You might know him through some of his books, like The Biblical Psalms in Christian Worship, or Worship Seeking Understanding, Windows into Christian Practice. This conversation with John is one that I recorded this past summer at the Christian Congregational Music Conference held just outside of Oxford. I recorded five of these with the plenary speakers for the conference, and I'm sharing them through the rest of the year. If you'd like to find the previous podcast episodes in this series, you can find them at musicandthechurch.com. At musicandthechurch.com, you can also find the show notes and transcript for this episode, it's episode 43, as well as my podcast for church staff, called, and my newsletter for church staff. Ostensibly, this conversation between John and I is about grant programs. Uh, The Calvin Institute of Christian Worship provides grants to congregations as well as to teacher scholars. So that's the paradigm that we're talking through. Underneath all that, though, are three threads that tie our conversation together. One is about making change in a local congregation how to do it, why to do it, and being really intentional about the tiny steps that you would take across, say, 52 weeks to get to a different place a year from now. The second thread is about resources, resources like these grants, and how resources are, in part, about validating something that isn't currently supported in the local congregation. The third thread is about being a teachable, growth-minded person. So this is for all of us as individuals and about us as people who lead in our communities. This approach is about being someone who doesn't have all the answers and says, I'm curious about what kinds of resources and answers that I can find. It's a really important mindset for us as individuals, for us as people who lead in ministry settings or in academic settings. So here's the conversation with John Whitfleet. Let's talk about the wealth of resources for um, church musicians out there. Mm. So many different um, areas of study in, um, you know, in a really robust worship conference or a robust academic conference on church music that can inform the life of a church musician. It's the the story of a hymn that you might sing next Sunday. It's, um, you know, people have reflected on performance practice of a favorite uh, style of music. It's um, people who reflect deeply on how people receive music and how people um, find music to be healing and uh, the role of music in pastoral care and, um, you know, how many different disciplines can strengthen the life of a church musician? Well, it's ethnomusicology. It's also music education. It's music therapy. It's history of music, history of liturgical music. It's uh, so many different areas of reflection. I'm hearing this and thinking, and yet so often for a church musician, there's only one area that they have very much exposure to. Exactly right. Yeah. And actually for any of us, I think there can be uh, fear and trepidation to move and learn from areas where we feel less strong. We feel mm-hmm. less sure of ourselves. It can be scary to be the, the newbie. It is. Uh, and, and perhaps it's a willingness to grow, a desire to grow, um, a kind of curiosity that, uh, you know, growth mindset, it's true in every area of life, but uh, certainly in church leadership where, um, you know, uh, a, a desire to grow and a spirit of being teachable uh, might be one of the top criteria. Um, churches would be 
healthier places if teachability were one of the key criteria for every single leadership position. So we just need to end the podcast right there because that's there's the message you just need to <laughs> All right. So <laughs> well, there, there we've got it. There we, teachability. There we go. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So you have um, been part of the grants program at the Calvin Institute of Worship for quite a while now. And so you've gotten a different, maybe a different kind of angle on growth and music in churches because you're looking at it from, I guess, not just an academic perspective, but a, a grant grantor perspective rather than just as a practitioner in the church. Mm. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So uh, it is a great joy every year to receive grant applications from uh, teams in worshiping communities. These are uh, collaboratively produced uh, proposals, and they really represent the deep yearnings of a church. There's a pastoral discernment process that goes into a grant application. Essentially, we're inviting churches to ask the question, what is a an especially crucial um, area of growth that you feel God is calling your congregation to pursue over time uh, in a sustained way, something that can't be achieved with a single conference or in a single weekend, but that over the course of a year, um, your community could grow in. And that could be any number of things. It might be um, singing, let's just use music as an example, singing more intergenerationally, singing in ways that um, expands the cultural range and palette and sense of cultural hospitality in a given place that that sings a broader range of scriptural themes you know that is um, willing to sing uh, the full spectrum of kinds of songs reflected in the biblical psalms for example some imprecatory songs uh, well at least uh, at God, least down the fire right now at least <laughs> to ask the question um, what do those psalms have to teach us mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. um, resistance and protest and uh, anger and lament alongside of praise yeah. and repentance. Um, so congregations, it, when, when it comes to music, can, can aim toward deepening in so many different directions, but it's a remarkable thing to see what emerges from churches across a cultural and denominational range. Um, you know, people who've really thought prayerfully about some topic they want to work on over time. And Regardless of whether a community ever pursues a grant, I think that uh, is a wonderful question to ask for all of us. You know, what is God calling us to grow into in our work together? I'm curious what you've learned in um, in working with these churches so that, that the time that they have um, is productive and then like how that affects them down the road. Like, do you have any sense of yeah. change that is, you know, 10 years down the road kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, sometimes the the changes that, that are envisioned um, come to fruition. Sometimes churches say we want to become more robustly intergenerational and they actually, they are, they are five or 10 years later. Mm -hmm. We are also delightfully surprised when um, uh, a congregation pursues a given learning area and then uh, discovers that it can be applied in other areas. So we've had some wonderful grants that have been related to congregations seeking to um, expand opportunities for ministry, not just to, but alongside of and with persons across the spectrum of ability and disability. And a church that really thinks deeply and, and pursues that vision um, winds up being uh, a more hospitable place cross-culturally, cross-generationally. The, the hospitality and uh, ministry with muscle gets developed, and then it turns out there are all kinds of ways to apply it. Um, and, then it and then another thing we notice is that uh, 10 years later, it may be that a church is not singing in a way that's all that different, but that it was the leadership lessons learned 
in a given grant that are the most important. And candidly, we've also had it where an especially gifted project director was involved with a grant. Um, the grant and essentially program ran stuck, uh, but where the people involved developed some wonderful leadership skills that they then applied in another context. Yeah. <laughs> they Honestly, they had to leave. Yeah. Uh, and we don't see those stories as... Um, uh, is just negative. We don't to minimize the pain involved, but to say that you know maybe God had something else in mind that it was uh, through the the growth and lead, collaborative leadership capacity, um, you know, that could be applied in other settings. Uh, a good that came out of it. Can we talk about what a grant can do? Like this isn't necessarily an episode about here's how to apply for a grant, right. but um, I'm thinking I'm thinking really about just money in the general sense of sometimes a church is like, well, why should we spend money on something? Can't you just, can't you just learn that yourself? You, you go figure it out and give it to us and we'll keep paying your salary and done. Um, but this is, I think you're kind of making an argument by doing this that financial resources can support a certain kind of thing. Yeah. yeah? Well, there's a, a several dimensions here. Uh, one of the questions you love to ask are, you know, what are the kinds of activities that for whatever reason, the local market economy is not supporting? Um, mm-hmm. The local market economy uh, supports things that tend to match cultural values, um, but there might be some aspects of uh, given culture's values, a given congregation's values, a given uh, uh, city's values, a given region's values that actually need some uh, growth, some sanctification, use Christian language that we can that, use Christian language that That's need <laughs> uh, support or that. It, so really asking that question, um, uh, you know, a congregation might only really typically um, bless a musician who does events and uh, and leads uh, ministries in ways that bring in more people. The economy is all oriented to the bringing in more people. Um, but suppose that um, that musician said, my, my passion is to really bring deeper healing to people on the margins. Um, the economy may not support that question, um, but, mm-hmm. uh, but a grant can support it temporarily. And a grant can also provide a kind of external validation mm-hmm. where, in effect, um, someone outside the community is saying, this is really important. And it can give time then for that community to, um, to pause, to pay attention to that um, undervalued dimension of ministry. And then um, it would be the prayer of people who apply and those of us who are involved in awarding the grant that, um, you know, something will stick and something will bear fruit out of that. So. It seems that some of this is a, less about content and more about the practice. There's a lot about the process here, um, and we try to guide that as, uh, as the program um, is shaped. Um, uh, the grant application process that we've set up uh, consists of answering several questions. Mm-hmm. One of the earliest of those questions is, uh, describe the collaborative process that you use to put together this grant. Well, that's already queuing up a kind of conversation mm-hmm. yeah. that, that the grant proposal, but this is not just about a grant proposal. It's really about a way of life and community yeah. Yeah. that um, Lone Ranger leadership is typically not healthy leadership in Christian mm-hmm. community. Yeah. Um, so those kinds of questions uh, that we ask um, uh, uh, create the context for a journey. Congregations of many different kinds can take this journey pursuing many different ends. Um, but there is a, um, a lot of learning that have come out of prior grants and a wonderfully 
dynamic and collaborative uh, advisory board where we keep uh, asking how can we keep improving the process that we invite people into. Um, and then it's a joy for us to convene all these grant recipients so people can meet each other um, across um, cultural contexts, animation lines, geographic regions, and often there's a second level of learning that happens there that is uh, like peer -to -peer. remarkable. It is. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You've um, talked about having, like, ch church folk having a wealth of resources, almost so much that you can't really, you can't begin to process all the resources that we each have. And um, one thing you're suggesting for um, folks leading in ministry to think about why they're beginning their questioning or why they're um, why they're looking for something? Right. Well, um, I think one of the things we see is that many of the most um, fruitful uh, grant proposals and projects emerge when simply pe people when people simply stop and ask the question, um, what are the immediate needs God is placing before us? And what are remarkable opportunities that God is placing before us? Um, there's a balance there, need and opportunity. Um, and then um, pause to ask, um, where is the deepest vein of wisdom that could inform how we reflect on it? And I think that language is important, vein of wisdom. Uh, that language gets at something that's a little deeper than um, quick fix technique. Mm -hmm. um, um, and often if people begin to ask the question, where is the deepest vein of wisdom? Um, and you start asking that collaboratively. Um, uh, often that's a way to get to, um, over time, some of the best materials that are available. And we all live in this information age with millions of podcasts, millions of websites, thousands of books, um, and we can't pay attention to even a tiny percentage. Um, the danger is when we find it all so overwhelming, we, uh, we really, in effect, shut down the learning process altogether. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we can... Um, you know, if all of us at any given time are um, continuing to learn something that we are especially good at and love, and then also always thinking, what's one area that uh, a weak side I want to work? And if we're doing a little bit of that all the time, um, that's that's pretty fruitful. Uh, in these grant projects, we see it, but I think just as a way of life for those, for all of us. Yeah, I'm wondering if you have any words for folks who find that incredibly scary. Yeah, yeah. Incredibly intimidating. Yeah, well, just to say that, um, again, to come back to that theme of teachability, that um, um, there is such great freedom in learning to ask um, uh, the question, um, uh, questions like, um, you know, what are veins of wisdom that can enrich my ministry? It's an enriching question. Mm -hmm. um, it's a positive question because it assumes question. there's something already that's good there. Yeah, and that, that God has likely provided um, in the breadth of the church the, the you know, people with experiences that can, that can instruct and teach us. Um, it is, uh, so many of us are formed to have answers. Uh, we stand in front of a choir, those of us who direct choirs. We are formed to have the answers. Mm -hmm. We're told. Prepare the score. Choose the music wisely. Um, prepare that rehearsal so that you can be in command, in charge, that you have the answers. And I understand it. Uh, uh, a well-led choral rehearsal is um, led by a person who has a sense of knowing what they're doing. There's a confidence that inspires confidence in music making. Um, but when that, um, 
when there's a sort of deep internal need to always have the right answers, um, that can be a very, uh, in the end, I, th I think kind of frustrating way to live. There's a ton of pressure in that way of life. And to actually relinquish having all the answers and uh, to say, here are some questions that I want to ask and um, and that I'm genuinely curious about uh, can be one of the, I think, most freeing disciplines uh, for people who are formed to be in charge. Uh, it can be really life-giving. Yeah. seems like it's also a, um, a certain kind of theological position yeah. in that it's saying something about God or faith that yeah. there is always more that I could know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. infinitely knowable yes. versus a, like, well, I have, I have this, this bounded collection of texts and, and I personally can know it all. Yeah. I can, I can have all the answers. Yeah. No, it's a different think, way of thinking about faith. I, no, I think so. Uh, I think so. Um, you know, there's something finally about the, our human scale, the finiteness of being human that, um, I think we have to receive as gift, um, uh, and maybe I think in a deep level, we, we tend to go in two opposite directions. We either aspire to this place of universal um, knowledge of being in command, of being, of, you know, having a sense of control, um, or we slip into a sense of despair. Um, but, you know, what if, what if life, what if life in the fullness of the coming kingdom consists of our own finiteness on a journey of continued growth, continued learning. Um, you know, the famous C.S. Lewis line, further up, further in, as he described, uh, we're taping this not far from where C.S. Lewis lived and wrote that line, probably. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful image. Mm -hmm. It is. Do you want to talk about strengthening congregational song for practitioners, scholars? I think it is a great um, question for all of us who who lead music or have responsibilities for music in a given congregation to simply ask, what are the capacities I long for my congregation to have a year from now that they do not have currently? Um, and what are the, the steps over time? 52 small steps, one week at a time, that could be put in place to help that be possible. I think for some of us it might be Helping a church sing for absolutely fabulous, pastorally significant, theologically significant hymns or songs that our church currently doesn't know. And the first time we sing them, people will resist it. Mm -hmm. And then thinking, what's the 52-week journey that will get us not only to be able to sing it, but to love it? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it might be step number one is... Uh, sending the link to four choir members to say, I just discovered a new song. And the week after that, it might be learning the story of a songwriter and um, contacting them wherever they are in the world to ask about the story behind the song. And then, and then it's, um, you know, introducing it at a choir rehearsal or a church staff meeting. And then, so it's, it, it, it's a journey over time. Uh, and it might be then with respect to a given bit of repertoire, or it might be with respect to uh, some other aspect. Um, uh, church we worked with several years ago um, really put great intention into how music should function in its pastoral care ministries. Mm -hmm. They identified four or five songs um, that they chose as songs that should be listened to in hospital rooms, nursing home rooms, 
mm-hmm. addiction care facilities. And they said, uh, what can we do in the breadth of our church community to learn to love uh, these five songs that can bring such healing, hope, um, sense of God's sustaining presence, um, and then really making that a matter of intentional practice. So here was a minister of music that did work not just in the church choir, but with people who were involved in pastoral visitation ministries. The music of ministry uh, extended through um, people who did visits who didn't themselves like to sing, mm-hmm. but could come into that uh, into that visit with, uh, you know, um, playing a, a recording or a podcast of members of their own community, their own church choir, singing that song to them. Wasn't oh, that powerful? Lovely. That's powerful. Yeah. You start doing that, and the whole context and meaning of, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's going on in the musical life of a church uh, could change. Yeah. One of the things we are also excited about is a new um, dimension of our scholar, uh, our grants program, which is a grants program to teacher scholars. So we are awarding per year about 50 grants to congregations and then um, about 15 uh, to teacher scholars in a variety of disciplines. And these would be to teacher scholars who long to serve and strengthen the life of congregations. And tell me what you mean by teacher scholars. So these might be people who um, teach in colleges, seminaries, universities, uh, people of faith who want to serve congregations, but Mm -hmm. they might be serving not only in Christian colleges and seminaries, but in any um, academic context, Um, but whose work in uh, sociology or ethnomusicology or um, theology or political science or the sciences um, has something to say about congregational life mm-hmm. and especially wor- the worship life of the community. And part of what we're interested in there is to create context in which um, scholars can really reflect on what it means to have the church as their audience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then again, creating the conditions under which people in congregations can um, learn to listen to um, church-loving scholars for deep wisdom. And there's a lot of communication that needs to, we need to learn how to have those conversations uh, more robustly. Thank you for this conversation. Thanks so much. Thanks to Dr. John Whitfleet for this conversation. You can find the show notes at musicandthechurch.com slash 43, where you can also find lots of resources for church staff and especially church musicians. If you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at musicandthechurch at gmail.com. I'm Sarah Bariza, and I'll be back next month with another episode of Music and the Church.